got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I've been reading all the work. And I've been shutting out the stars. And welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the Freight Sales Show for Closers. My name is Kevin Hill, here as always with Richie Daigle to my side. How are you doing today, Richie? Doing good. Yeah, nice uh, nice rainy day here in Chattanooga. It's nice to have some rain kind of cool things off a little bit. It is. It's, it's a nice, cool 72 degrees, I think, with lots of rain coming down. But that's perfect, though. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, how are you? I, I'm doing great, doing great. I'm ready to talk about creativity. Creativity is all, you know, sales is all about creativity. And that's what we're going to talk about today, getting those creative juices flowing. And we're also going to talk to, to Joe Farrar, who's a author of Uncomfortable Inclusion, How to Build a Culture of High Performance in Life and Work. And a lot of that is unlocking those creative powers of a floor, a yeah. sales floor, employees, yeah. an organization. I think creativity just goes hand in hand with problem solving. And so mm-hmm. when I start thinking about creativity, I start thinking about people that are thinking outside of the box and are bringing solutions to the table that aren't scripted and aren't, you know, haven't been used over and over and over again. This is a new way of thinking or a new way to solve this dilemma or this problem. And that goes right into high performance, right? I mean, if, if you're doing this on a regular basis and you're finding new ways and new solutions mm-hmm. and new ways to apply the product that you're selling and so forth, then uh, you're going to be a high performer. You are going to be a high performer. And it reminds me of probably the, the most overused business term ever is thinking outside the box. Yeah, that is true. It is I'm, the most overused. Guilty. I, I know. We're, we're all guilty <laughs> of it, because it's, it's, but it's so true. Right? You, you kind of have to bend the rules, bend reality to, to, to meet your needs. And a lot of that you have to be creative to do that. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're also going to talk about right now is a creative organization that serves transportation. And it is the fastest growing 3PL in the logistics space today. Based in Chicago and Jacksonville, they offer unrestricted access to almost all accounts, limitless territory, and a chance to be a key player in a growing company. To find out more, email jobs at surgetransportation.com. Once again, that's jobs at surgetransportation.com. So... Uh, very creative company in their their own right. They're exciting organization. But yeah, let's talk about creativity and the the sales process. Well, let's get, let's get the ball rolling. Yeah, and I think that it's real easy for salespeople to fall into the trap of go 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 more 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 more. Let's suck as much production out of this individual as possible. They should be work 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 work. And then when you're overworked then you need some sort of, you know, you you tend to fall into, okay, I have some downtime. I just want to turn my brain off and I need to be entertained. (laughs) And so so that you you overwork and and maybe this resonates with some of you. I've certainly been in this place before or, you know, into this state where I'm working, I'm overworked, I'm working too long of hours. And when I'm not working, I am putting my brain and frying it in front of a TV with some mindless television or some mindless scrolling on my phone through social media. And what, what, what I'm missing is that space to just be aware and to think and to process. Uh, and that, I think, is the, the space where creativity can really start to blossom. It really is. And it's another, it reminds me of another overused cliche in, in the world of business and life is you can't see the forest for the trees. 
But you had me worried that I said another one right no, there. And you, I was you like, I'm going to be guilty it. twice. I mean, we talked about this, and it reminds you of the, these terms that, that, that people overuse probably, and they, they lose their meaning as, as, as they're being overused. But it's important to, to realize, and this comes from an article you sent me, that research suggests that we're all getting less creative, and scientists think they know why. And it's all about this Torrance test. I'd never really heard of the Torrance test before, but it's, it's supposed to be better than an IQ test. And those, those Torrance tests are, are, have been dropping over the years. And um, I, I, I think it, it really boils down to distractions. I mean, you can't get in that deep thought pattern whatsoever these days, it seems like, because your phone's going off. You know, my, my phone's ringing right now. Uh, so the phone's going off all the time. Your computer's going off. Uh, people, uh, you know, the, just, just, it's just a busy time, it seems, especially yeah. in the, the pandemic era of everything virtual. Exactly. And, you know, things that come to mind when I think about this, and I think you're spot on. It's, it's the lack of space. So it's distractions mm-hmm. plus this go, go, go mentality. The comedian Pete Holmes, who's one of my favorite comedians, he has a bit where he talks about people that get angry in traffic. And he's like, why? Why are you angry? Just sit there. Just be. (laughs) There's nowhere to go. Your anger is not solving anything. The road rage isn't. The person in front of you is not going to pay attention to your yelling and say, oh, maybe I should figure out a way to run over the person in front of me. It's not doing anything. And so like, there's just phenomenon that that happens. And I think a lot of it stems from just a lot, you know, and I feel sometimes the uncomfortableness of just being in your own skin for a moment. But if you can get into that, then there's some creativity that can come. You can start rethinking things and this studies and this, and uh, this article points at that. There's some science that points in that direction. You know, if we have some space, then uh, creativity can, can come about. It's, it's really weird because I, I get writer's block all the time. I, I write quite a bit. I, I get writer's block. And the, the best way to, to solve that, I try to force my way through it. I'm like, I'm not going anywhere until I get this right. And that doesn't work 100% of the time. Yeah. If I get up and start, I mean, I've, I've learned I, I need a notebook or something. Because as soon as I get up, by the time I make it downstairs and three steps out of my building, I'm like, that's the answer right there. And I, I, have, to, I have to write it down or I'm going to forget it because I'm so distracted with everything else. So there, there's things pouring in, into, in and out of my thoughts constantly that it's hard to stay focused. And you see it in baseball when somebody's in a slump, right? Mm-hmm. And the more they press and the more they push in that slump, the deeper that slump gets. But the moment they back up and start, uh, you know, creating some space for creativity, they can start thinking through things. They can relax. And that's the big key word here. It is. When you relax, then your brain can start operating differently. And now you can move out of that. And that's a perfect analogy to, to cells is, is getting in a slump because that's exactly what happens when you get in a slump in cells. You're, you're pressing and that the person on the other end of your message, whether that's electronically, on the phone, in person, they can smell that desperation. Oh, yeah. They can, they can smell the unconfidence and they will, they, they'll either run away from it or take advantage of it. Exactly. When I was a pitcher, I could smell a slump <laughs> when, the, when the hitter got into the into the box. So if I knew he's in a slump and I can see his stats, I was like, huh, I'm feeling great. Yeah, <laughs> you start playing head games and, and you, you feel like you're in control. Um, but, but yeah, it, but as soon as you kind of just let go, let go of everything, spend some time, uh, deep thoughts, whether it's meditation, prayer, whatever that may be for you, 
then that's when ideas start to percolate. It's like a brainstorming session all within your own head. And, you know, I think that creativity, a lot of it, when you get scientific and about it and the way my mind thinks is uh, when you bring in more information, you bring more variables into the equation, then you tend to get a more complete output or a more complete conclusion. Or, you know, and a lot of times that's deemed as being creative. But I think a lot of times it's just a thought process that's taking into account everything that's available right there. So there's an awareness that's necessary to drive that process. Um, and it's, it's amazing how unaware we are. And mm -hmm. an example of this, uh, and I know, I know that we're running a bit short on time here, but um, was the, the great violinist Josh Bell, who you know, played a multi-million dollar violin in a, in a subway, and he was playing some intricate Bach piece. So it's just absolutely, objectively incredible music. And all these people are in a rush and they walk right by. And uh, sometimes I wonder if that happens in the sales world. Are we walking by incredible opportunities just because we're in a rush and we're not paying attention to what's available all around us, right? Yeah, and maybe we can't identify what's a, a $30 violin and a $3 million violin, too. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's that as well. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I, I wouldn't even be able to tell you, but you're exactly right. It's, it's like whenever you misplace things, too. Uh, you know, the more you press and try to find it, the, uh, the, the worse the situation becomes. But if you forget about it, all of a sudden it just pops in your head. You know exactly where you left your car keys or whatever it may be. You just go get them. But yeah. you, have to, you have to practice doing that and being able to do that. But uh, another person who knows all about this is our guest who's coming up right now. And that's Joe Farrar. He's uh, the author of Uncomfortable Inclusion, How to Build a Culture of High Performance in Life and Work. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I appreciate you uh, uncomfortably including me in your conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Joe. Uh, can you give uh, the audience a little bit more of an introduction about yourself and, and your book and, and your history? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, started very early in my career in the medical field. I uh, thought I was going to be a doctor like my father, who is currently 82 years old, still delivering babies and doing surgery uh, in a hospital where I grew up in South Florida. And, uh, you know, when I started following in his footsteps, I recognized that although I would have loved to be a doctor and follow in his footsteps and do great things caring for patients, uh, I, it was missing something for me. And so as I uh, began to delve more into the medical field. I uh, came upon a circumstance where uh, I learned about the heroics of organ tissue and eye donation and the legacy that that leaves to humanity when somebody decides to be a donor after they've passed away. And so I was fortunate to work for the University of Miami for many years. And before I left there, I was uh, the director of clinical operations with the organ recovery and transplant team. Uh, and uh, about a year or so after I got my MBA, I was able to join the organization here in Nevada, uh, headquartered in Las Vegas, uh, with the Nevada Donor Network. And so the concept of uncomfortable inclusion uh, evolved over time in my growth and development as a manager uh, then as a director and eventually as a 
the president and CEO of the Nevada Donor Network. And so the premise for the concept of inclusion has a lot to do with the previous topic and the creativity that's required of us. Uh, sometimes we feel like we have to have all the answers when, in fact, all of the resources and the signs are around us if we just include more people. So um, I was able to look, identify that retrospectively throughout my career, that inclusion was so important to bring those elements together uh, to help me succeed and, more importantly, to help the team succeed. Yeah, that's that's great. And um, you know, when I think about inclusion, and you know, when I was looking over your book as well, the the word that kept coming to mind was vulnerability, and that seems so counterintuitive to leadership because you know, when you think about leaders, you think about somebody that's strong and has this very defined direction, and we're going this way, and we have the answers, and this is how it's going to be done, and follow me. But, you know, it seems like what you're suggesting is maybe a more vulnerable approach to where I don't have answers and what do you have to say and including people uh, may be more effective. And so um, just thought you could, you know, expand on on that concept of vulnerability uh, and its effectiveness in leadership. Yeah, that that is a critical point of of the premise of the book and and my evolution as a leader is oftentimes when we are bestowed a position of influence, whether it's as a supervisor, manager, or director, intuitively you think that you have to have all the answers and people are looking for somebody to just say, this is where we're going and this is why. What I learned, uh, which is exactly how you've articulated it, is you don't have have to have all the answers and Frankly, if you just put your ego aside, even though you have the title and you invite others to come into a decision or uh, a project that you're going to be working on or even to contribute to innovation and, and you don't feel like you need to be in charge and you're vulnerable enough to allow other people in to that decision-making process and give them credit where credit is due and of course give them you know the ability and empower them to to make the decision or help you make the decision you as you noted earlier you end up with a much better output and you also cultivate buy-in because they were involved in that decision so uncomfortable inclusion uh, can be applied to several different circumstances and one of the discomforts you have to overcome is the ability to put your ego and your needs aside and allow other people to come in. And it's not easy for everybody. Um, And so you have to allow yourself, lean into that process of saying, I don't have all the answers. You can help me and I'm going to let you in to help me. And we're going to do this together. And that creates more unity. So Joe, um, you say it's it's a process, and it certainly is. It's a long process. What's a, what's the, the the best first step? What's a good first step to distort that uh, to distort that uncomfortable inclusion type of process? It's a, a great question, and I think it starts with asking for advice. You know, that's not something we all do effectively. And I know in my career, uh, even when I was first uh, allowed to become a leader and given a title to manage something, uh, 
I, I didn't really reach out to others in my network when I was faced with the decision. So I think the best first step, knowing this retrospectively now, after I've gone through it, is to determine who your network is and who you can include in important life decisions, important work-related decisions, professional decisions, career decisions, and, and think about the people you have around you and just start asking them for advice uh, deliberately and intentionally and, and follow through on some of the advice that you get. I mean, of course, you're not going to follow everybody as, everybody's advice all the time, but I think it starts with identifying your network of people that you can include and as you're making even minor decisions, begin to uh, describe to them your decision process and the decision that you're facing and, and start to cultivate that brain trust over time. And when you, when you have enough people around you that help you with the small decisions, you end up building something that I like to call decision equity or decision capital uh, so that when you come to one of those really major decisions, you already have built your network of people that you trust, that have given you good advice, um, and even some things to look out for as you're faced with other decisions. So, so Jay, you, you talked about going out, looking for advice, gathering, very deliberately gathering advice, which is a really good strategy. How do you really, how do you, how do you determine what the, the good advice is from the bad advice? Because I, I think that's what a lot of people, uh, myself included, struggle with. You know, we, we can go out and get advice, but how do we determine which is advice we should follow and advice we should ignore? Well, and that's a great point. And, and that highlights the importance of uh, really involving people in the minor decisions because you begin to learn about them as well and their perspective, their experience. And it's a, it's a process of trial and error. I mean, you can't know that a decision is the right one. Oftentimes when you make it, you have to let it play out. And over time, you build a confidence level in your network and you start to realize, okay, that decision that I reached out to this particular person um, didn't work out as I predicted or I thought it was going to work out. And, and then on the next decision-making process, uh, you involve others and you begin to sculpt your, your network in a way that you have more wins than losses. And that's, that's a process that happens over time. You obviously have to start somewhere. Um, but, you know, we, when you involve humans in decision-making without predictability and certainty, there's always the unknown that you didn't account for. All you can do is, is maximize the probability that that decision is going to uh, yield a favorable result. But you have to create that network to have more wins than you have losses. And it certainly is not as an exact science when you're involving humanity. Um, the only exception to that is if you're using artificial intelligence, and I think we're we're still a little while to be able to do that in certain life decisions. But um, I I believe it to be a process, and if you invest in that process and observe the outcomes over time, you'll start to realize um, how you improve your likelihood for success versus experience more failures over time. 
Yeah, that, that really resonates with me. And I, it makes me think back to the baseball years where, you know, I had a, a whole number of coaches and I had a coach that pulled me over one day and he said, listen, you're going to have a whole bunch of coaches throughout your career. You have to build a filter system and determine and, and know who you can trust and who you can't, who you listen to and who you don't. And that's really important because some people have different intentions and some people have your intentions in mind. You got to determine that. Uh, that just a quick aside. And, and that was really resonating. But um, yeah, you know, again, like reading, reading through the, this material and looking at the website, a lot of this comes back to creating an environment where people feel safe to, to share ideas, to be creative, to collaborate with others. Um, and a lot can come out of a good uh, work environment like that. And on the same, the flip side of a toxic work env environment, you, you don't want to do that. You don't want to share. You don't want to take chances. Everybody's guarded and defensive. Um, what are some ways to, that, that leaders can help cultivate that good, healthy work environment? Yeah, that's, uh, that is the secret sauce, is, is essentially uh, with time and energy and investment, you demonstrate to people through actions that the inclusion is safe. And if they uh, put forth ideas and, uh, and have you know, ideas on projects or innovations, that you actually follow through and prove to them that their, um, their input is valuable and it doesn't mean you're always going to take their advice or do what they're suggesting you're going to do. But the process of on an individual basis and then as a team, uh, that's really the power you have. And I use power not as a, um, a sort of a, a derogatory term that you you're, have power over others. But the, the influence that you have as a leader is to prove to the people that you presume to lead and follow uh, that you're about an environment that's healthy for everybody and it's it's uh, mutually beneficial. So when somebody feels empowered because you included them in the decision and you actually thoughtfully listened to their advice and maybe came up with reasons why that may not work and you gave them the respect that they deserve when they're going to put themselves out there the next time you have a potential decision or you need ideas, they're going to come back and say, okay, well, that, that worked well because uh, the person leading the process was very inclusive and put their ego aside. And so over time, you have to build that capital by proving to them that the environment is safe and that you're vulnerable enough to admit when you've made a bad decision or you didn't um, take their input into account. And, and really, uh, as much as I hate to sound like a broken record, it, it becomes a process of building uh, and investing in that, in that uh, a brain trust that you're trying to create. And eventually, the people that are not interested in an environment like that will weed themselves out. But the ones that are and become vested in that process will gravitate to the organization and gravitate to your team, and you have the ability to make these decisions with inclusion in a very safe environment because you're you're helping to mold that environment, and you're holding people accountable that uh, are are acting contrary to that environment. And I think that's the safety you have to provide as a leader 
to be able to accomplish what you just described. Very good advice. Very good advice, Joe. Thank you for your time today. Um, how does our audience go out and, and find and purchase Uncomfortable Inclusion? How to build a culture of high performance in life and work? Yeah, thank you for that that plug. Um, you can find it on Amazon under the title Uncomfortable Inclusion. You can also go to my website, uh, which is www.joeferreira, exactly how it's spelled, uh, F-E-R-R-E-I-R-A uh, dot com. And all the information to purchase the book is also there. Great. Thank you very much, Joe, for your time today. Thank you both for having me. Have a great day. As well. Interesting conversation, you know? It's all about uh, turning people's attitudes around for creativity and talk about turnaround things. El Paso, Texas, did that turn around? Yeah, a lot's happening in El Paso. Uh, That's a a market that uh, was jumping off the page in Sonar uh, and, you know, capacity has tightened significantly. Significantly, I think we have a chart on that, that capacity tightening right there. Explain to the audience, uh, what they're looking at right there. Yes, this is our capacity trend market score, and this is coming from the, the shipper broker perspective. So low scores, super tight, high scores, super loose. And the, the data that's feeding this in the background is you know, the, the tender rejections for dry van, the outbound and inbound volumes for dry van. So we're kind of looking at you know, what is capacity. When we look at all of those data sets together and we mesh them into a score, uh, we get a, a very clear and straightforward picture of capacity. And what this is showing us is just a few days ago, capacity was fairly loose. Like there mm-hmm. were trucks to be found and uh, you know, the spot market was loosened quite a bit. Um, but here in the past few days, that has changed significantly. And capacity is now very tight for dry van freight coming out of El Paso. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what we're seeing. There's been some volatility, as you can see. There mm-hmm. was that big spike. Things loosened and then boom, right back to being super tight. So, um, yeah, what are, what are your thoughts there? What are you seeing? My thoughts are it should be super tight in, in El Paso because the, you're talking about northbound loads coming out of Mexico. When, when you're talking about El Paso, that is really what you're talking about. When you're talking about Laredo, that's really, in essence, what you're talking about is the northbound shipping coming out of Mexico. I, and there's huge auto auto parts, auto facilities, auto manufacturing in, in both of those cor- uh, border crossing, right? Laredo's much larger than El Paso, but El Paso is probably the second and third um, crossing in, in the U.S. It's very important. It's kind of feeder to a lot of the, um, the auto shops down in, in more of the interior space uh, of Mexico. So northbound loads are always tight, especially right now. Uh, so that it should be, it should be really tight down there. You know, I, I'm, it's probably ebbs and flows, maybe some holiday seasons uh, or holidays in, in Mexico might have shot it up. I'm not really sure, but uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Maybe the anomaly there is not so much the tight conditions today, but four days ago when it was loose. That's, what, that, that's my read of it, uh, just because I, I did a lot of freight in and out of Mexico during, during, during my time as a freight broker. And northbound was was always it was always a struggle uh, for for capacity in interior Mexico and then in Laredo as well as those those loads were were moving over whether they're transloaded or uh, through trailer service. So uh, you know if you're a broker and you do see this little window of 
loosening capacity mm-hmm. in a market that's normally super tight, like that would be incredibly valuable information. You would, you'd jump on it. Yeah, you would, you would have seen that four days ago and yeah. boom, but now that window's closed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you missed it and you didn't have sonar, you might want to have sonar for the next go round. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Because it, it does ebb and flow. It's it's uh, there's other seasonal patterns that are built in there, and uh, there's probably still some stop and starts in the auto industry in in timing because everything's just in time, mm-hmm. right? So everything's just in time, and you have the semiconductor shortage. Uh, we all know that the auto industry is is a little crazy. That's a, that's a rabbit hole that we probably can't fully explore in the next 45 seconds. Uh, we probably can't. <laughs> we probably can't. Uh, uh, we the, it's the Inc. article. I, I just want to say uh, congratulations to, to all of us around here uh, for, for making uh, Inc. 5000 top uh, fastest growing companies number 85 this year. So it's something that, that everyone, uh, you know, certainly in sales should be very excited about. Media here. The production crew back in the back that and behind the cameras that do an outstanding job day in, day out, bringing put that copy down, Freight Waves Now, What the Truck, the whole, you know, great quarter guys, which comes on at three o'clock today. I believe two o'clock is is at your doorstep with, with Kaylee Nick. So congratulations to, to everybody around here. And this wraps up for this week's episode of Put That Coffee Down. I got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when is expensive? I got expensive, cause when is expensive? I've been reading all the work. And I've been shutting out the stars.